Our scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 23. And uh, just a little context uh, very quickly. Um, Last uh, Sunday, we talked about um, the golden calf. Uh, Moses was up on Mount Sinai, and uh, he was uh, receiving the law. Um, from God, and he had been up there for 40 days, and the people uh, panicked, and they thought that maybe Moses had died, and uh, and that maybe God had left them, and so they decided to create a new God, and they made this golden calf, and uh, Moses uh, comes down from the mountain, he sees the golden calf, he uh, smashes the Ten Commandments against the ground, and uh, he's upset with the people. And he's gone back up to Mount Sinai. And um, Gog is upset with the people too. And um, Gog is up on Mount Sinai and he's saying uh, to Moses, um, I might not even go with you all. Um, You all go ahead to the promised land without me. I'm going to stay up here on Mount Sinai. Right? And uh, Moses is having um, to convince God to go along. (laughs) Uh, to uh, to go with the people um, uh, to the promised land. And so that's where we find Moses in our scripture reading this morning. He's trying to convince God um, to go with the people. So uh, Exodus uh, uh, 33, um, verses 12 to 23. Hear now the word of our Lord. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then the Lord said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Our our kids go to three different schools in the morning. Um, William still goes to McCarg Elementary. Um, uh, Savannah goes to Bell Heath Elementary. 
And um, uh, Nora Grace goes to Dalton Intermediate. And so uh, in the morning, it's all hands on deck to get everyone where they're supposed to be. And my job has become um, to get uh, Nora Grace uh, to middle school in the morning. And Nora Grace signed up for um, what's called zero period. And um, that's uh, where a bunch of nerdy kids uh, uh, go to school earlier than everybody else to get an extra class. Uh, (laughs) um, And uh, so most mornings I wake up at 7 in the morning and I just like jump out of bed and throw on my clothes and um and Nora Grace is already ready to go. Um she's she's dressed, she's got her hair brushed, she's got her backpack on, she's fed the turtle. And so I've just gotta sort of get up and, and grab my keys and uh and we head out. These last couple of uh of mornings this week have been really foggy at that time of morning. Like foggy, like you can't see your hand in front of your face, kind of foggy. And uh, it's actually, it's, I kind of like the ambiance. It's kind of mysterious when you're, when you're driving through the fog, right? And, um, and when you're driving through the fog, you, uh, you see the faint shadows and shapes of forms, right, before they emerge from the fog. And so you'll see, uh, you'll see a, a car, you'll see a car coming um, sort of as a shadow, and then it will emerge from the fog. And if the person in the car knows what they're doing, you'll also see these uh, merciful beams of light pierce the fog, these headlights that sort of let you know um, that the presence of this car is on its way. See, when I'm uh, driving through the fog in the morning, I can't help but think of that one that the, uh, that, that the hymn writer called Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. You see, there is a fog between us and God, isn't there? There, there's this, there's this thick fog. Sometimes we see the shadow of God's presence in our lives. Sometimes we see these uh, merciful beams of light pierce through. But most of the time, it's just a fog between us and God. An anonymous English monk in the 14th century called this fog the cloud of unknowing. See, there is this cloud of unknowing between you and I and God. We can never fully behold his glory. We can never fully behold his presence. Sometimes all we get is shadows and light. And you and I, we talk about this cloud of unknowing. We talk about this fog and we're using poetic, metaphorical language. But what we have to keep in mind is that for the Hebrew people, in our scripture reading this morning, it was a literal cloud. That uh, the presence of God was going before them, but it was obscured by a real cloud, a real fog, a real whirlwind around God. As God um, led the Hebrew people out of Egypt into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea, it was a cloud that went before them. And they could see shadows and light, but not the full presence of God. When they were grumbling in the wilderness, 
when, when they were saying, Moses, you let us here to die. God's glory shows up in the morning and manna rains from heaven. But that glory again is obscured by the cloud, by the mystery. And then again on Mount Sinai, when, uh, when, when Moses comes into the presence of God and receives the Ten Commandments, the glory is obscured by a cloud. You see, just beyond the curtain of reality, God is, is, is at work and is moving. But we only see this cloud, this, this, this shadow and light and the mist. So in this morning's passage, we find Moses calling out to God to come out from behind the cloud. Enough of this cloud business. Show your face. It's hard for us to trust people unless we see their face, isn't it? When you're uh, talking to that anonymous person at a call center somewhere and you want your phone fixed, you really wish that you could see their face. You don't like the cloud that's between you and this person. If they could look into your eyes, they'd know how frustrated you are and they fixed your problem, Right? And so Moses wants God to step out from the cloud. He talks about God's presence going with them. And this word in Hebrew that's translated presence can also be translated as face. He says, God, let your face go with us. How, how will the world uh, know who we are? How will they know we're your chosen people if your face does not go with us? And so God says, okay, since you begged, I'll go with you. I'll go with you to the promised land. I'll leave this mountain. My face will go with you. Is there anything else you'd like? He says, is there anything else I can do for you? Because I, have, I, have, I know you by name. And then Moses works up the courage to say, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And glory in Hebrew is this word kavad, and it means weight. It means the full weight of God's presence. I want to see all of you. Enough of this cloud business. I'm tired of this mystery. He says, show me your ways, right? Lord, I want to know what you are like, what you are up to, what you are really doing here. I want to see you face to face. And like meatloaf, God will do anything for love, but he won't do that, right? He says, no, no, you can't see my face, but you can see my back as I'm walking away. No, you can't see my glory. You can't see the fullness of my presence, the fullness of my plan, but you can see and know my goodness. You can know my name. Right? God says, no one can see my face and live. What does that mean? What's he up to? What he's trying to say, no one can see my face and live. The way I picture it is like, have you ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? 
One of my favorite movies. Remember at the end when they open the Ark of the Covenant, the Nazis are there, and then the angels swirl out and like all their faces start to melt, right? Like, uh, that's how I picture it, right? If you see God's face, your face starts to melt, right? But maybe, maybe he's, maybe it's a little deeper than that. Maybe God's saying the human mind can only contain so much. We can only understand so much. And, and for you to behold my glory, for you to behold the fullness of who I am, the fullness of my plan, what I am up to in the world, you might as well be asking for the Atlantic Ocean and a coffee mug. For your mind to contain my glory. But maybe it's even deeper than that. Maybe we see God more clearly going than we see him coming. Maybe in the present moment of our lives, we can't see what God is doing, what he's up to. Because we're so stuck in that cloud of unknowing, so stuck in that thick fog of mystery. Maybe God is most visible to us in the rearview mirror. Maybe God is most visible to us in the rearview mirror. Maybe it's when we look back at our lives that we see what God is really up to. When we see, uh, when we see God's back as he's walking away, that we understand his goodness. So we can't see God in the moment. He's obscured from us. We're in the middle of this cloud, in the middle of this fog. But when we look back at our lives, we see that he was there all along, moving and working. We see this image in the Bible all the time. People, uh, uh, J- the Bible uh, scholar James Kugel calls it the fog of confusion. People are in this fog of confusion, and then they have this moment of clarity where they realize, oh, this person I thought I was talking to, uh, that was actually God, right? We, we see it with Abraham. Abraham is, is hanging out um, at the Oaks of Mamre. He's, he's just uh, hanging out under his favorite tree, and, uh, and he sees three strangers approach. And uh, he does what any good person in that day and age does when they see three strangers approach. He invites them home, and he shows hospitality. He says, uh, he says uh, um, stay for the night. Um, and then uh, travel safely in the morning. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll put you up for the night. We'll, we'll uh, cook a great meal. And he shows, uh, he shows hospitality to these three strangers. And uh, while the three strangers are there, um, they tell Abraham, this time next year, you're going to have a son named Isaac. And Abraham is advanced in years, and his wife, Sarah, is advanced in years, and Sarah overhears this, and what does she do? She laughs. <laughs> Me, have a son, right? All this time, Abraham is talking to these three strangers, and all this time, read the story, it's confusing, right? All the time, these three strangers are talking to Abraham like they're God, but, but Abraham's not picking up on it. And then the three strangers leave. And Abraham realizes he's in the presence of God. So he had, he had this fog around him. His eyes couldn't quite see. And then after the strangers were gone, he has this moment of clarity. It was God. I was in the presence of God. We see the same thing with Jacob. 
Jacob is fleeing his uncle Laban. And, uh, and as he's fleeing Laban, uh, he runs uh, into um, his uh, brother Esau. Basically, all of Jacob's relatives were out to get him at this point, right? He'd burned all his bridges. And so uh, he hears Esau is coming. He sends uh, all his family and his servants and all of his possessions ahead. He sends all of these gifts ahead uh, to try and strike up some goodwill with Esau. And he's left alone. He's left alone in the middle of, of, uh, of this clearing. And uh, in the middle of the night, a stranger approaches Jacob and basically just starts beating up on him. And, uh, and Jacob thinks what you and I would think, right? This is, uh, this is some bandit who's come in the middle of the night. He's trying to steal my stuff. And, uh, and so uh, Jacob wrestles with this stranger all through the night until daybreak back and forth, back and forth, and he finally overpowers him, and then the stranger plays dirty, uh, knocks, uh, knocks his joint out of socket, and Jacob walks with a limp for the rest of his life. And Jacob refuses to let go and, until the man gives him a blessing. And then the man does give him a blessing. He says, you shall be called Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And it's not until the stranger is gone, that Jacob says, I'm going to call this place Peniel because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. See, Jacob was in this fog. He thought he, thought he was dealing with this, this human being, human things, right? And it was only when he looked in his rearview mirror, it was only when he saw the back of God as he was walking away that he realized I was in the presence of the Lord and I did not know it. See, you and I have that same thing sometimes, don't we? When I was 17, all in the world I wanted to do was to go to Berea College. That was like my, that was my first choice. A lot of my friends were going to Berea College. Berea was a cool school. Um, I wanted to be a writer and they had an awesome creative writing program. And they, they had a great drama department and, and I wanted to be in plays. And, and, and like, I, I just, I, when I pictured my life, I pictured myself at Berea College. I should have got into Berea College. I made the grades. And somehow they rejected my application. I never understood it. And so I went to my second choice. Union College. Union, dear old Union, strong and free. And uh, uh, I went to Union College. And there at Union College, I, um, I met the love of my life, uh, who is now my wife. Um, and at Union College, um, to pay my pizza bill, um, I uh, wound up taking a part-time job um, at a, uh, a, a, a Methodist church in town as a youth minister. Never would have happened to me at Berea, right? And uh, I took this part-time job, and um, here, 13 years later, um, I'm still a full-time youth minister, um, and a part-time pastor, right? My life was set on this whole trajectory because of what I can only assume is a clerical, a clerical error because I'm so smart. 
I don't know. It could have been all the C's I made too. But um, <laughs> here's the deal. Looking back, I see God all over that. But at the time, it was all confusing. I had nothing. I had no idea what was going on, why God was messing up my life like this. I'll bet you can think of similar instances in your life. That job you lost. There's the worst thing that happened to you, but it forced you out into the job market and you actually found a better one where they actually respect you and you make the pay you deserve. Or maybe someone in your family got sick. And it was a terrible thing, but somehow it brought the family together. Somehow people had to bury hatchets because we all had to come around this family member and take care of them. Maybe you, uh, maybe you had precious time with them that you wouldn't have had otherwise if they had just uh, dropped dead of a heart attack. Maybe you were forced to move and uh, you found that the place that you moved to was the place that you belonged all along. Had that one happen to me too. So it's all well and good, you may be thinking to yourself, that, that we see God best in the rearview mirror. But you and I, we live our lives in the windshield, right? The front windshield where life is coming at us at 75 miles an hour, right? And it's confusing. And we don't know what's going on. And we don't know what's around the next curve and the road. And we wish God would just peek out from behind the curtain. Just announce himself out from the fog and say, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm up to, right? We want that clarity. We want to know what God is doing. We want to know what his plan is and who can blame us, right? Life is tough. It's chaotic. There's these things coming at us. We don't have time to be studying the rearview mirror all the time. A story about a noted uh, ethicist. I think I said that right. Ethicist. Uh, his name is, um, is is Tom Cavanaugh, and um, he was uh, re- working on a book. And he was interviewing people with different ethics, and so he decided to go um, interview a, a woman named Mother Teresa. And so he went to um, the Sisters of Mercy uh, in Calcutta, Ingr- uh, India, and uh, and was there to uh, visit Mother Teresa. Now, the thing, anyone who's uh, met Mother Teresa um, has told uh, those of us that haven't is that it doesn't matter um, whether you're this uh, highfalutin investigative reporter um, or the president or, um, or a leper. She treats everyone the same. And so when Tom Cavanaugh got there, he had to take his number and wait. Uh, and when... Um, uh, Mother Teresa was finally done with like the uh, with the orphans and the uh, and the lepers that were ahead of uh, Mr. Cavanaugh in line. Um, she uh, finally made uh, her way to him, and she peeks out from the door and she says, "How can I pray for you?" And uh, Tom Cavanaugh wasn't quite expecting this question, so he thought about it for a second and he said, "I would like you to pray that I would have clarity." And uh, Mother Teresa says, no, I'm not going to pray that you'll have clarity. Clarity is the last thing you cling to. 
I'm going to pray that you would have trust. I'm going to pray that you would have trust. You see, when we're living in that front windshield, when life is coming at us at 75 miles an hour, we want clarity. We want to know the whole plan. We want to know the GPS coordinates, right? But God asks for trust in those moments. And trust is what we really need. See, uh, if, if you'll just let me torture this, uh, this metaphor just a little bit longer, all right? I think when we have trust, it's like we're looking out the side window, right? And when you're looking out the side window of your car, you can see what's coming, but you also have that side mirror too. You know, the one that says objects and mirror are closer than they appear, right? You've got that side mirror and it shows you what's behind, right? Having trust is, 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 is having your mind on both things, right? You see what God has done for you. You see how God has been there for you in your life and you hold on to that. You hold on to those promises and you bravely face what's ahead, right? That's the posture of trust. I'm looking back as I look ahead. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but yesterday God was faithful to me. And so I'm going to trust that he will be faithful to me tomorrow, right? We're looking backward as we look forward. And when we do that, I think what we discover is that God is closer than he appears. God is closer in those moments than he appears. When we trust him, we discover he has always been closer than he appeared. You want to see the face of God? You want him to step out from the cloud and reveal himself? Right there. There he is. That's his face. Jesus. You see, 2,000 years ago, for 33 years, God stepped out of the cloud. He stepped out of the fog and he revealed himself and he looked a lot like a Galilean peasant rabbi. Right? He looked a lot like this Palestinian Jew. Right? And he lived and he loved and he laughed and he celebrated and he wept for his friends. And then he died. You know, he uh, died and several days later, some people were walking on this long, dusty road uh, to a place called Emmaus. And as they were walking, they were discussing the events of the day, and uh, this stranger came up and started walking beside them, right? And uh, so they're uh, talking to the stranger. Have you heard what has happened? There was this guy named Jesus. We all were so sure he was the Messiah. We were, we were so sure. You know, the way he talked, the way he carried himself, he gave us all hope, and then they killed him. But this week there have been these rumors that some people have seen him, that they've just seen him like out there walking around. And 
we don't know whether to believe them or not. You know, frankly, uh, some of them are women, and uh, their testimony isn't that reliable, right? Uh, it's Bible times, people, just <laughs> keeping it real. And so uh, they're talking as they walk on the road, and, uh, and this stranger starts talking to them about Scripture. This stranger's <laughs> remarkably read when it comes to Scripture. It seems like he's got it all memorized, and this stranger is talking all about how Scripture foretold that the Son of Man must die and then be raised three days later. And, uh, and when, they're talk- when they're talking to this stranger, it's almost like God is talking to them and walking alongside them, but they don't quite see it. See, they're in this fog, they're in this cloud. And then they get to where they're going. And uh, they, they, they go into the room, and the stranger just walks in like he owns the place. Right? And so, uh, so the two guys are like, I guess you're invited. You want to stay for dinner? Right? And the stranger sat down where he always sits down. And now the stranger's presiding over the dinner. Uh, he takes the bread. He gives thanks to it for it. And then he breaks it. And instantly, when, when, when Jesus breaks the bread, they understand who he is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's been walking beside us all this time. And as soon as they realize it, he's gone. They see his back as he's walking away. Go straight through the wall. Back into the cloud. I have a question for you. Is it foggy where you're at this morning? Is there this thick, confusing cloud between you and God? Are you having trouble making him out and the dark shadows, and the the occasional glimpses of light? Are you having trouble figuring out what his plan is for you? I'll bet what you'll find is that he's closer than he appears. He's closer than he appears. And at the end of this life, when you see his back as he's walking away, you'll realize he's walking beside you all that time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.